processes and tools dominate today's Agile discussions, but we are devoted to the individuals and interactions that make it work. From the beginner to the veteran practitioner, we have something for you. Welcome to Agile for Humans. All right, welcome to this week's episode of Agile for Humans. I'm your host, Ryan Ripley. Joining me tonight, we're back to old school Agile for Humans, actually. This is a panel. In the beginning, it was a large group of people. We got away from that. Now we're back. So we have Woody Zool. Woody, how are you? Doing great, Ryan. Thanks for joining us. Amitai Schleier. Amitai, no stranger to the show, a fan favorite. How are you, sir? Thrilled to hear that I'm a fan favorite. That's news to me. Everyone loves your insights, buddy. You get more tweets than anyone else on the show. Tim Oninger from Northern Illinois. How are you, sir? Excellent, Ryan. Excellent. Always, always, always wonderful to have the Agile Otter on with us. Top shelf Agile coach and consultant, Zach Boniker. Hi, Ryan. Hey, buddy. It's cold. I'm in San Diego and it's under 60 degrees, so it's kind of hard in my world right now so i appreciate everyone's understanding guess what it's we'll some hot chocolate out there yeah Yeah. we'll get some rations and some provisions out to you appreciate that so just so you know in indiana it's over 60 degrees right so that's why everyone comes out (laughs) to where you are for the sunshine tax or whatever they call it right exactly exactly well tonight guys i We've, we've been batting some ideas around for a large group, what would make sense, and I think we're just going to ask why. Tonight is all about the why of the things we do and of the things that we talk about and think about, why people hire us, what is it about our Agile practice, what is it about the way that we've internalized Agile that makes us unique and, and all of those things. I, I don't want to put anyone on the spot, but I think Amitai, when it comes to why, why do you, why Agile... Why your approach? You know, why the? Why do we do this? I think I speak for all of us when I say it's the best way to make money that I've found so far. <laughs> um, pretty sure that's why we're all in it. Uh, I'm trying to get rich, and it's it's going really slowly, but it is net in the positive direction. So you just uh, got your SPC four, and you're ready to get working on safe. Is that what I'm hearing? No, that's a bigger <laughs> investment than I'm ready for. I was I was okay. trying to prove it in the small. And I think maybe I could get into a project like uh, getting an SB certification next. Nice. Now that I validated the idea. <laughs> All right. So Amitai's clearly after the money grab. Maybe Tim. Tim, what is it that is driving you to continue down this agile path? What is it that has uh, kept you going and, and why are people calling you? Oh, let's see. I, I was lucky enough to be in on uh, near the ground floor of some pretty cool things going on. And some people are still interested in how they work. Um, awful lot of what I do, though, is either introducing people to it for the first time with uh, XP practices and and the idea of agile management and, and incorporating t- testers. Or, um, just as often, it's a rescue. Somebody has come in and things have gone horribly wrong. And it's it's time to try something different to change the way it's done, and uh, I'm pretty sympathetic and pretty interested in enough experiences. Sometimes people want to hear from me. I think that's really awesome and humbled by it. Usually, everyone's well puffed up. So, do you think we're at kind of a restart point where 
the first generation of Agilists have cycled through. Now it's a new crop of people and we're seeing the same old things or is it now something different? Um, I think we're in a, in a whole different wave. So you know how these things go. You start off with this great idea and it goes for a while until somebody starts to, um, it, it corrupts after a while. A lot of compromises are made in the name of marketing and, and selling and sharing and spreading and people get focused on the uptake ratios instead of the difference it makes. And then somebody comes along and there's a reformation and then that reformation runs for a while and then the reformation becomes corrupted and there's yet another reformation of the reformation. I think that we're probably in a major reformation cycle. So we've gone from take back agile to modern agile. And at the same time, other people are running to keep the uptake ratios good and the numbers looking pretty. Yeah. Uh, Tim, do you think we, do you think we went about that circle where it was take back agile into the evolution of modern agile or did we just, maybe rephrase what we meant all along. <laughs> I think it's very much a, a restatement and an extension. There are a few things that have changed. You know, when we did Agile at first, XP, um, and, and I suppose Scrum as well, although I was more connected with the XP people, um, continuous deployment, continuous integration, continuous testing, that was a real thing. But um, somewhere along the line, those have been kind of given away. And nowadays, continual deployment and continual integration are much more continual than they used to be. So with all the <coughs> DevOps stuff, there's new technical underpinnings that that we can leverage. And, you know, we never saw Lean, Lean Startup coming. Lean Startup was a surprise. So incorporating that and some other ideas from Lean has been a big deal. So I think there's something different. Um, but ultimately, the values were there to begin with. They just got well, they needed to be brought back forward again. They fell behind, my opinion. So now someone who's been pushing Agile forward, I think, and breaking new ground is Woody, you know, with, with no estimates, mob programming, you know, through experimentation, like on past episodes that we've talked about, you know, his, his ability to, to just question why about the things that everyone else takes for granted. You know, most people take the fact that you estimate software, and, and that's just something you do because the business asks for it. And it, it's always just, it's the thing we've always done. But to actually step back and ask the question, you know, why? Or we put people in cubicles and we say, here's your unit of work, go and do it. And instead, Woody says, why? And puts the whole company together in front of one screen. And they get massive quality and output and outcome improvements. And so, Woody, what are the things, you know, clearly we're, if we're in a reformation or a restatement, we've had to clarify our point. Uh, about Agile, but what are the things uh, that we're questioning now that perhaps we didn't question 20 years ago when, when all of this was being crafted? Well, that's, uh, that's maybe deeper than I'm able to go, but I <laughs> think I could say this, that mob programming itself uh, wasn't a questioning of, it didn't come about by questioning why are we sitting in cubicles. It was, it was, the result of turning up the good on ideas like working well together. So if we look at the way that we're doing things and we say, hey, this thing's working, whatever it might be, and we say, what would it what would mean to turn up the good on that? Then that will take us in a direction that we might not otherwise be able to go in. What I have often seen over many years is people say, we have a problem with this and we need to fix that. Or we have, this isn't going well, so we need to address that. 
And my approach is a little bit uh, perhaps uh, not typical, but it, it doesn't mean it's not used. And that is just to say what's going well and let's turn it up. And, of course, that comes from Kent Beck. I mean, that's that, that probably has been around in my life since I was um, – a little kid, but it was expressed so well by Kent Beck in the uh, first version, first edition of the Extreme Programming Explained book. And I usually bring that up in every presentation I give. The idea that we have these practices, we know they work, not because we got a certification in them or because uh, we read it in a book, but because we've got experience with it. We know it works. What would it be like if we could turn that up? What would it mean to turn that up? And how would we go about doing that? So that's that's a very different thing than um, maybe the innovation the way we might think innovation uh, is, where we look at the problems and we and we try to figure out a different way to look at that. that that's part of it maybe, but anyways, I hope that was helpful. Definitely. I, I think we can all talk about the good that we're turning up as a – it's 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 interesting when rules emerge. It's usually because something negative has happened, and we're going to create a defense against that ever happening again. And that's how standard operating procedures emerge. That's how all of these these volumes and volumes of of rules and regulations appear. But that's defending against the bad. What I love about your approach, Woody, is that you're saying no, that stuff happens. But what are we good at? Or what makes us happy? What brings out the best results? And let's just focus on that. So now you're creating a playbook about the good. You're turning up the good. You're playing to people's strengths. I, I think it's, it's far deeper than you give it credit for. Well, so I think it's a fundamental concept. So I would just, you know, for example, it's, this goes way beyond software development. You know, if we, if we are not, uh, if we are always saying everybody should be able to do this well, whatever this thing may be, then we're probably not taking advantage of the variety of skills and abilities and nature, uh, talents and whatever that everybody has. We let them we, – we make an environment where people can find what they're really truly going to be able to be great at or bring forward a better chance for that, and maybe we're going to win. Uh, there, there's going to be a win for everybody in that. And winning it doesn't mean somebody else has to lose. Uh, winning means – that uh, it could mean that everybody wins. That's sort of the way I like to think of it. You it's know, not that a is, war, you know. What an amazing lesson. And actually, I was I was privileged enough to be up in, where was I? I was up in Winnipeg, Canada at, um, at a great conference up there a few years ago. And I got to see this play out, Woody. It was really interesting. I think you'd like this exercise. Um, Todd Sharon was up there doing uh, an improv talk. I'm finding improv is is actually highly applicable to the, some of the work we do. He had a group of 100 people get into two groups and pretend they're doing a tug of war, uh, just as like an icebreaker. So the two sides are there, and we go for a few minutes, and uh, he stopped us, and he said, when is someone going to lose? Because both sides were fighting equally hard to win this pretend tug of war that had absolutely zero bearing but no one was willing to improv the act of losing. It was a, it was a zero sum game. It was a, these are and these are all coaches, so these are all highly experienced agilists still acting in a way that it's zero sum. Someone has to win. Someone has to lose. But we can all win. And it was a very impactful idea. It's one of those that it le it left the whole room of coaches humbled. It's one of those. It's like when when you 
Woody or Tim or, or like a George Dinwiddie or a Don Gray walks up to one of us and says something about the way we've just behaved and we walk away dumbfounded. It was one of those type of moments where the whole room of coaches realized, wow, we're, we tell teams everyone can win, but we just refuse to lose. And it was uh, one of those neat moments. So I, I know what you're all thinking, right? Because you're thinking the same thing as me right now. You're thinking all this verbiage and the language we're using around success and re- positive results um, as a result of this approach, this seems like a real certification opportunity. <laughs> come up with maybe like certified positive agilist. I will certify you for cheaper than Zach will, just a little bit cheaper, one time less. <laughs> yeah, but my but my training classes won't have PowerPoints, so I'm more engaging. So on to Seems Two like times less. <laughs> Two times less. So Wait, Zach and Amitai, they're they're busy setting up their agile universities. It is an interesting point where, you know, back to what Tim was saying, we have this reformation and then corruption and then reformation and corruption. And I do wonder sometimes. So I, I we just had so the listeners will call back to uh, Tom Cagley and I just uh, this week, or recently, I'm sorry, released a show about certifications and conferences and the, the walls and the dogma that the certifications create. Uh, because it is expensive for a trainer to change course material. You know, the Scrum Alliance can't just change course material or requirements, and neither can scrum.org. And when they change the scrum guide, the cost of updating all of the certification exams, uh, the training materials, it, it's very significant. And so we talked about the walls that those things put up, the dogma that it creates, and how it can actually stop the, some of these ideas from moving forward. It'll be years before ideas like no estimates and mob programming, which are excellent agile ideas, find their way into some of these these areas. And maybe that's a good thing. Well, well. now, first of all, I am speaking at the Scrum uh, gathering in San Diego on mob programming, to be clear. And I did speak there in the, Ve- the one they did in Vegas on mob programming several years ago. So uh, I'm not really sure that these things can easily fit into uh, whatever the going program might be. But I would say that there is, there is the – what you're bringing up is sort of – uh, the the overall issue with how new ideas come forward and and what does it take to have that happen? Much of what we believe has to eventually be eroded for us to be able to accept uh, new ideas, and we're it's very difficult to let go of those things. And there was something we believe in. It it's not a, 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 a an easy thing to to switch from that. So it can take days, years, months, whatever, you know, long periods of time. And with really big, important scientific uh, changes, you know, it can take uh, centuries. Some of the things that people believed for for centuries take centuries to go away. So, you know, I'm not really sure. I think that having a framework that you can certify people in is probably – it does solidify some of the things beyond the reasonable level. It's kind of like once you put a rule in place, it becomes very difficult to remove that rule. It's really easy to put rules in place and very difficult to remove them. And yet, rules usually aren't meaningful to have rock solid 
I think that Tim, you brought that out once. You know, this isn't written in stone, except for that one thing. <laughs> <laughs> right. I think and it I, was you who said and, that. <laughs> and I should say, during that talk with Tom, we we have a lot of respect and admiration for Scrum Alliance and Scrum.org. They are very open to some of these ideas. It was really more the discussion around are we going to see test questions around some of these advanced concepts anytime soon? And we talked about the pros and cons of changing the base structure and how expensive and difficult that is. And it's just one of those things that inherently, when you go down this path of formal formalizing agile and creating certifications, you are going to create some of these, these things that get put in stone, whether intentional or not, that just become so difficult to break down. You know, I, I think an example um, could be the idea of uh, sprint links. Just the fact that, you know, four was mentioned, but now two's, four weeks was mentioned early on in the Scrum Guide, but now it's switched to two weeks. So now these teams are scrambling to get down to two, even though their user base can't handle more that more change than perhaps once a quarter. You know, so they're oh, doing... And they're, and they're trying to get there in the worst way possible by working twice as hard, not by doing half as much. Exactly. And so you have these different, you know, things that happen that, you know, if we're not careful about how we do these changes, you know, it's all inherent in the system of work that's at play. And so it was just highlighting the fact that these systems of work, especially around certifications, create these very interesting problems. But yeah, I totally agree. Yes. Scrum Alliance has put together great programs and really love how open they are to a, a lot of these ideas. I think there probably should be some kind of a date on your test and, and your training. So you can say, hey, I was certified in... 2004 Agile. I think that might be helpful. So people, you know, have a, you know, like a, when you buy a bottle of whiskey, it's probably going to have a, an age statement on the front, probably telling you when it was bottled and, and how long it had sat in the cask. So you know what you're getting. So yes, this, this Agilist will have gone sour by <laughs> filling the date. That's right. Hey, I'm really, really good at 1998. That's right. That's right. This, no, so this, well, now, some... Go ahead. Go ahead. No, no, Woody. I'm actually more interested in what you're going to say. Go, go, go. I'll raise so, my hand. I think many of the ideas that we see expressed in agile software development were, and extreme programming, and all these uh, approaches were around way, way before uh, any of these things became what they are. So you know, it wasn't. It's not uncommon uh, to to think of doing things in smaller amounts. That's been around forever and ever. And, uh, you know, so on and so on. I, I, I don't know. You know, most of these ideas became things because when we grouped them together, uh, they really made a, a, a great impact. And I think the whole thing with Agile software development that we were basically going to focus on the people side of the business of software development. But it's really a business-focused thing. It just takes into account that these are individuals and they've got to be able to interact well. Uh, we're going to see things changing, and boy, that's uh, that's tough for people. So let's, how are we going to how are we going to deal with that? You know, th I think all these things when they gather together, they they get a kind of a strength that when they were s separate, uh, they weren't perhaps as as meaningful. So, I, and I think even extreme programming again in the first edition of that, it was pretty much here's some practices. You, you get the great value of these when you bring them all together. And you don't get as much value if you just pick them out one by one. So uh, it's a powerful thing. You know, I'm not, I don't mean to say, but I do believe that the practices that we use aren't as important nearly as the principles. And the practices really have to be frequently um, 
being scrutinized and changed, and even the principles and values have as well, but to a much more frequent uh, uh, approach with the, with the practices and, and the techniques and the methods that we use. Hey, everybody. Ryan Ripley here. We're going to take a quick break to hear more from our friends at TechWell about the Agile Dev West Conference and a chance for you to save up to $200 on your registration fee when we come back more with this panel. Is your Agile team struggling to be Agile? Turn your team's Agile struggles into learning opportunities for project improvement, product coaching, and measurability, identifying where and when to stamp out our bottlenecks, and embracing the challenges of Scrum and Kanban. Learn how at Agile Dev West, the premier Agile conference, June 4th through the 9th in Las Vegas, Nevada. With over 100 learning and networking opportunities over six days, Agile Dev West is the ideal event to find solutions to your challenges develop and strengthen skills, supercharge knowledge, and re-energize career growth. Take deep dives into Agile implementation, development, leadership, test and QA, Scrum, enterprise, project management, requirements, and processes and metrics. Agile for Human listeners can use the code AGILEDEV to receive $200 off their conference registration fee. Explore the program at well.tc forward slash AGILEDEV. Do you guys believe that we'll be able to? I'm sorry. Go ahead, Zach. No, Tim has his hand up too. All right. I don't know how do do we Rochambeau for it or should we? All right, Zach then Tim. No, okay, so so the whole um, this whole conversation just brings me back to that opening question of why, right? And for me, it's centering on, you know, why understand why we do what what we do, and why that led us to a practice. Right. And and use that as the learning opportunity. Right. So I've had the opportunity to attend a mob programming workshop with Woody. Has anyone else? Tim, have you done it, Ryan? I'm um, I've done mob programming, but I don't think I get to go to the workshop. So I'm that that means since I'm the only one, I'm I'm far more enlightened than you. So I'm certified enlightened with Woody. But um, Woody's workshop goes into a lot of of the mindset and the mentality of what he believes in terms of improving working conditions for, you know, software engineers and why that can lead to better results and what connect. And we get into do some games and exercises that demonstrate that thought process and why and why it made him curious. And then eventually we get to the point where we actually do. And it's, you know, it's presented in a way that is, this is what we're doing. And it isn't necessarily the only way. It is one way of many ways, as you know. So the whole workshop is starts from why and then gets into, you know, how and what is actually done. And it's really powerful. There was a time where I used to think that if we did certification in the same way and almost along the way that, that you were talking, Tim, or what if we had like, you know, signs and badges around, I've got 10 years of this or five years, or it's a time or it's something or like, or like you said, it's from 96 or 97. I used to think that that would be helpful because it would give you some insight. But then again, it still, it still doesn't answer why, why would I want to do that? Right? Because what if I had a 10 year of something uh, or 15 years agile certified, but it's just like seeing a resume. Uh, I've got 15 years of being a manager or whatever, being a terrible manager. Right. Or, or what if, I was certified something in 2005, and yet my mindset has completely shifted from then. You know, so I, I don't know. I, I don't know what the point, I don't know what I would be solving or what I would be trying to answer on, on, on anything around the certification and how we would label people when it comes to Agile. If I start first with why, that there's just no why there for me at all. I don't know, maybe I'm the only one. So, of course, what I was shooting at with that was 
to give people the date at which you stopped learning, the, the date at which your material stopped advancing. <laughs> so, you know, when you take the whiskey from the from the um, from the barrel and you put it in a bottle, it doesn't age anymore. It's done. Right. So that's when it stopped growing. That's when it stopped improving. Now it can sit in the bottle for 50 years, and, and it's the same whiskey for 15 years, 20 years, 300 years, um, as long as it's kept in a nice place. So I thought, you know, most people have no idea if the Agile that they studied and got certified for was 20 years old or not. They have no idea. But I really was doing that as a joke. I'm anti-certification. <laughs> I, we've been making a lot of jokes. And I've been enjoying them. But there's – um. There's a whole series of diseases, right, that are uh, dealing with premature bone ossification. So your bones are supposed to be growing, but instead they harden and freeze in their current shape, and that just messes your body up horribly. These are terrible childhood diseases and adult diseases, calcification of blood vessels and muscles, and, and it's incredibly painful. I'm not making light of those conditions. Um, those are serious, serious problems and very, very painful. But what happens with uh, any kind of a system where we set the rules and we decide what the criteria is and we build the, the the learning path and we hold to it, we have ossified. It is fine to have a certified degree in 15th century literature, but probably you shouldn't do that in things that are still growing and changing. If you got your 15-year-old certification in Java development, congratulations. What was that, Java 2? So... I just wanted to push the idea that maybe these things ossify, and we'll talk probably a little bit, we'll get around to talking about bridges and um, tunnels and how ossification is destroying that system, but I'll let you go. So, I would like to interject, this is Woody, I'd like to interject uh, here. Um, what I believe typically happens, and at least this is my take on it right now, is that when a system gets to the place where it's recognizable as a system and people are using it, then its main ability, its main capability is to perpetuate itself. The reason it has gotten that far is because it's good at perpetuating itself. And if the main features of it uh, are no longer useful, uh, then we, we have a problem because it's gotten to the point where it perpetuates itself. And we cannot make it change. Now, that, of course, isn't original with me. I didn't – nothing that I probably can talk about is something that I came up with. It's based on things I've read, and that's from John Gall's book, uh, Systematics, The Systems Bible, I think is what it was called. And it's a great book. It's a lot of fun to read, and, uh, but, but I, think, I think this is valid, and I see it over and over again. So what we really have to ask is – I think this is why I like the turning up the good on things is if we really cannot um, change a system, a, a complex system that's in place, that it's solidified to the point where, it, uh, where it's just self-perpetuating, then we need to figure out what are we going to do. We can't just cast them aside because part of their job is keeping themselves in place. So we really need to start figuring that out. It's a much, much bigger thing than some people. It's like… Deming kind of stuff where he talked about, I think it was him, you know, that a that a, a bad system will destroy a good person every time. You know, it's just the way it is. But please go ahead. Um, Woody, do you so you so turning up the good right as a means of of looking into again improving the results of the system? Do you ever see problems though 
that need to be addressed? And what do you do in that case then? Well, there's going to be a number of problems that we need to just directly address, right? So I'm not saying we don't pay attention to problems. It's that it's not our focus to be looking for these problems mm. if they come forward. Um, in other words, if we spend time focusing on looking for the problems, then we're not going to run out of problems. What I found by turning up the good is that many of the problems fade away. So where focusing on the problems didn't make them fade away, it actually uh, can act as a um, – I would say as a placebo because we end up working on a symptom and we feel that when we've resolved for the symptom, we are no longer – we don't have a problem anymore. But the problem has now just been hidden or it's now under the surface. So we didn't use our, our approach to actually solve the problem. So this is something we really need to watch out for. And we get a lot of good out of, I think, almost automatically from turning up the good. I wouldn't propose that as though the only thing there is. You know, I think all good ideas have a root in either Kent Beck, Virginia Satir, or Jerry Weinberg. And Woody, you just made me think of Jerry's uh, Rudy's Rutabaga, where there's an infinite number of problems. And once you solve your biggest problem, your second biggest problem gets a promotion. Right. Right. And so there's always going to be those issues. And so turning up the good, um, I think, is the... Is, is a great way to get out of that vicious cycle of, of just problem solving. It's, you're so reactionary in that mode when you can be strategic about the good things you turn up. But what about Agile? So when we think about Agile in its current state today, everyone, everyone can cite a problem. Some people don't like safe. Some people don't like the other thing, like certification. Some people don't like scrum. Some people think that um, such things are bad. But when you think about the good... You know, for me, turning up the good is actually paradoxical because when I think of what is the good in Agile, a big part of it for me is the diversity. So the Agile community has one of the best male-to-female ratios that I've ever seen in a a software context. It has all walks of life, all countries, all continents. You know, wherever software is done, we have practitioners and we have this diverse set of ideas. We have Amitai and, and Tim and Woody who come from a very technical background. Uh, Amitai uses various languages. Woody use, uses others. Tim still, you know, Tim's a Python master. Amitai is a Perl expert. Woody, I think, um, what, what was your, what's your, your main programming language, Woody? Well, for the first 15 or so years was basic. So Woody's, Woody's old school with basic and, and can probably pick up any language he needs to. Zach and I, on the, on the other hand, so I started as a Java developer, but I moved into a different path. And so Zach and I are more on the yeah. coaching side of things now where we're looking at business processes and systems. But it's the diversity yeah. in our viewpoints and our experiences that, that, that make this community so interesting and so capable to, to look at systems of work, find out what's good, and turn it up because we have so many different viewpoints. At the same time... These viewpoints become targets. You know, Dean Leffingwell saw a hole left by various uh, certification bodies and, and trainers and said, hey, I'm going to show traditional corporations how they can get some better outcomes without having to change too many of the systems in their, in their current status or in their current su- in their, in, that are currently in place. But, he, but that became a target, although it is one 
diverse idea within the agile space. And so I think our greatest asset, the greatest thing to turn up can also be the greatest thing that tears us apart. I'm wondering what you guys think about that. I don't know. I think for me, turning up the good uh, is barely about software. It's even more barely about Agile. Uh, someone told me when I was much younger that I should consider, and this was a very surprising piece of advice that they gave me. They said I should consider a career as a therapist. And I thought, what the hell are you talking about? I'm a programmer. Go away. Uh, and also, then I then I gave it a second thought because it was interesting. And I said, Okay, so what would be involved in being a therapist? It would be a lot of work to figure out how to basically, I think it's the same thing, love the people that I'm trying to consult for. And then at the end of the day, working really hard to love these people who are paying me to figure out how to love them, come home and try to love my loved ones. And that sounds impossible. I don't think I can handle that. So I'm, I'm going to take that as a compliment that I should consider that as a career path and I'm going to set it aside. And then a decade later, I'm a software development coach, which is basically taking that person's advice. Because what I do isn't primarily that I help you with Perl or Python or C or God knows what. It's not even primarily that I help you figure out how to get an increment shipped. It's you are a person, you're a human being, you're in a context, you're, you're running into friction somehow, you're having a hard time being who you are in a context that needs you to be who you are. And maybe doesn't even know that. And my job is to make some room in that context for you to be more of who you are and help you realize that that's something you can do at work and that work needs that from you. And it's a little bit about the programming. It's a little bit about the shipping. And it's a lot about the people. And to me, that is where all of the good is. And it's our job to help them have it. So I think I understand the question based on Amatized response because that resonates with me. Uh, Ryan, ask the question again in just one sentence so that my you know non like super intelligent mind can grasp like the brilliance of it in its entirety. <laughs> so we we talk about turning up the good. So what does that? But what about agile? What does that mean when you think about today's state of agile and the good within it? And what do we turn up? All right, so for me, this question centers really on um, the fact that I love software development <clears throat> because I, I can program a little. You guys, you guys want me to write a mean console program right now in C-sharp? I'll do it. <laughs> nice. No, so I can fit in with you guys now. Um, <clears throat> I love software development, but like I said, I'm not, it was never a great you know, programmer. My mind just somehow didn't work that way. And that's what I tell myself <clears throat> helps me sleep at night. Uh, <clears throat> but again, I love creating with people. I love technology and software. I think it's exciting. I started my career at a software company where I realized everybody was miserable. <clears throat> and over time I started connecting patterns that at least I believe that the traditional organization, whatever that is, but we kind of know what we're saying in the agile space. It's kind of maybe following some old Tayloristic models or some real belief in behaving hierarchically but that that system can bring out the worst in people, right? I mean, I experienced it and <clears throat> I, I can see it when, um, did you guys read that article that was posted from, um, <clears throat> I forget, um, but she was an engineer at, at Uber. Did everyone read that? And that but, so you get this whole, uh, you get, you know, reports from people going to work and hearing about, you know, being harassed or being, uh, you know, 
involved in a in a culture that is just to abuse one another and defeat one another so that they can get promoted for what you know it's like you you want to be the best at that culture you know um and that's what 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 we produce and on top of that we have a lot of great principles about software development that seem to be really great at building software so when we look at that holistically across the entire organization, I see this area where I can fit in and it feels extremely meaningful to me to, you know, turn up the good, not to do agile in a series of, uh, you know, practices or to say that, hey, we cut our delivery time. We're sh- we were shipping once every three months and now we're doing it every two weeks. That's great and all. Right. But what, what really you know, resonates with me and what the, at least this question means is the idea that we can improve the experience of people working with one another to become better human beings, to become better at their careers, to become better at themselves, to maybe learn new skills, to maybe be excited uh, about work, to really feel like they can be part of something and learning. We can do all of that as a place of work beyond just a status of my title or my money or whatever it is that, that, that I'm making. You know, If I think about the old you know, tr- traditional model, we can give them more than that. And at the same time, we can really improve the results of developing software, which is exciting because I think Technology and software is, you know, just the bee's knees. So, um, I, I want to turn it up for that, not just to do agile, right? But just to to realize that where I was when I started in my career, where I was labeled, you know, arrogant, narcissistic, mean, hard to get along with, insulting, you know, condescending. Zach, I'm sorry. I'm yesterday. sorry about those, buddy. I, I was wrong. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> Meanwhile, we're still friends now. Uh, <clears throat> But, you know, to know that that's where I was and I was starting to demonstrate some of the characteristics of the organization around me and then to realize that I can learn and become a better person and grow. That that to me is what, you know, turning up the good is, right, is becoming somebody who enjoys now teaching and working with people and advising them and mentoring them and partnering with them and, and just learning from them. Um, that's what I want to turn up, right, so that we have more organizations all across the world that do this for humanity with the side the, the, the side uh, benefit of creating really amazing software and technology, you know, driving the world forward. So uh, that's such puppies and kittens, but that's, that's what I hear, you know, when, when you ask that, that question. Preach it, my brother. That is the stuff. Now, I was joking at the beginning a little bit when I said that this is the best way I figured out how to get rich. But I was not completely joking because what Zach said, I think, rings very true for me as well, that it's not merely that I'm there to love people and to help them be the more of themselves and to help that be more effective at work. It is about the money. I learned this in the simplest possible terms from G. Paul Hill, who you should have on your show. Uh, we've mentioned him on past shows before. He is, it's one of his mantras. He's got a lot of them. And one of them is it's, it's about the money. We test drive because we think it's faster. We test drive because it helps us ship. Uh, it helps us solve the right problems. We don't do these things because they make us feel good. We don't do them because they, they give us a, a sense of craftsmanlike uh, expertness. We do them because the business benefits in the terms that it cares about, even if it doesn't know that yet, when we work in this way. So it is about the money. And when I joke that Agile is the best thing I've found so far to get rich, it's not only for me that that's true. It's for everybody involved, as far as I'm concerned, that that's true. The people on the teams, the managers... Uh, even if they don't think there's a role for them in this future world, there is, and there's money in it for them and company as a whole, of course. So Tim, a lot of this reminds me of make people awesome. Am I, is that where we're going with this? That's absolutely, I think, where we're going. So one of the things that we focus on a lot that we talk about, you know, establishing safety 
right? So that we can all bring our talents to bear. Most organizations have a lot of divisions and um, a lot of blame shifting. And you know, there's, there's things that are, are, are troublesome, but you're not going to fix those. What you can do is start establishing safety. Sometimes people have bugs that go out live and you can help them to not do that, but you can take that up another step higher. There are mistakes that get established that you can maybe, you know, by cranking up the good and creating safety, those things don't happen. And then once you have a little bit of safety, then people realize the goal here is to make everybody awesome. It's not just, here's a feature that somebody's paying for, we'll collect our money, that'll be good for us. It is, here is something that's going to make somebody better off in the field. But it's also, if we do this a certain way, it's going to make it easier for our customer service people. It's going to make it easier for the salespeople to sell, which, by the way, is good for us too. And I can write my code in such a way using craftsmanship so that the people who work with me, they can get things done faster too. I'm not competing against them. We're trying to make each other better so that we can zoop this thing up and get going. I think that the make people awesome and the safety elements, and of course that's from modernagile.org, but don't worry about where it's from. I think those two things are cranking up the good in a huge way. And there's some other things that we do to try to get, you know, to help the businesses go further and longer. But all of this leads to learning and caring and sharing and transparency and openness, not because it makes you feel good. We never have people hold their hands and talk about their feelings and sing together. Hold your hands, look the others in the eye, sing a song. We never do that because, you know, that, of course, that's silly. We, we are here to help them achieve their goals, not to make ourselves feel good about the work we're doing. And that's cool, I think. You know, a, a direct outcome from this kind of thinking is actually this podcast. I'm sure I've talked about this on past episodes, but, um, you know, the this show has, over the last couple of years, has grown into one of the top shows in its category. Um, we have um, some great guests on every week, you know, wonderful interactions with, with all of my friends. And, and people ask, you know, how do you get tens of thousands of downloads? How do you get advertisers? How do you grow it into to something that it is? And I, I have two principles for this show. And it's, I love my friends, and I want to make them as wildly successful as possible. And so what that means is I minimize myself. I amplify the good that everyone on this show brings. So when Amitai and Zach and Tim and Woody are on, we get them to the forefront and it just works. But it's it's the the two things that we're talking about. It's you love your friends or your coworkers. You want to make them awesome. And in my case, I want everyone to be as successful as possible. So we we push Amitai's Agile in Three Minutes, which is arguably one of the best po- Agile podcasts on iTunes. We push anything that Tim and Industrial Logic and Modern Agile has going on at the time. Zach, we push him to to get submissions and talks and all of those things out there so that he's getting his awesome agile perspective out into the world. Uh, with Woody, it's always a treat to have him on to talk about mob programming, experimentation, no estimates, and even um, just the storytelling. What a masterful storyteller, and it's a real treat for people to get to hear him. And even when he talks about where he learned his storytelling talent, I don't know if we've covered that on the show yet or if that was at Coach Camp, but that's something I'd love to get into someday as well. But the point is, these are four talented people that bring forward amazing things, and I love them and I want them to be as wildly successful as possible. 
and that's grown this show into uh, what it is today. And I think we can take that and apply it to software teams and to building homes and to whatever it is that you do to turn up the good. I'd like to bring up something here, and I think that the focus on on business uh, shouldn't be about the success of making more and more money and making lots of money. That's sort of like a, a side result of making it a sustainable and wonderful life for the people involved, and that goes in all directions. The customers, the people that are creating things, are the people that are vendors to us and, and where we're getting our supplies and materials from and so on and so on. So I think that this is a much, much bigger thing than just making money. And I, I would say making money has got to be the smallest part of success. Being sustainable might require that we make uh, money, but I think that we really trick ourselves when we make that the goal, as according to people like uh, John Kay, who will say, um, you know, if we, if we just went for our goal, then it's going to pervert itself quickly. We, we, you know, if our goal is to make money, then we'll do things that are um, – that ruin our chances of having uh, sustainability and having wonderful results because our goal is the wrong kind of goal. But Zach, you have something you'd like to say. Yeah, no, it was just it, what, what you said was, 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 was like spot on for me. Um, cause it, you know, that what, what I said earlier, I, I just think it's, it's, it's funny that you bring up the idea of it isn't about money. It's not about like the, <laughs> These are almost um, like in the words of Don Ryder, like a proxy variable, right? If we're doing the, the really systemic things right, then the good outcomes, the money, the results, those are going to happen. <clears throat> so the idea Maybe. of centering around on the system of work to be human friendly, to really be human friendly, to be, you know, to provide the space for people to, to be creative and learn and really get good at what they do, right? And enjoy that. Um, it, it, it just, it, it, it kind of you know speaks to me or, or or pulls at me because I get called you know in, in in work usually to come into situations where people are trying to work with the principles that we're talking about here, right? That's truly what they mean when they they say hey this we're, we're we're trying this agile transformation or whatever it is, but their mindset is exactly the opposite of what we're talking about. It's around. How do we drive them to follow the process? How do we train them to do the outcome we want? How do we do whatever? Um, I don't know if I've said it on this show. I probably have because it's one of my favorite you know, stories, but because it, it describes the mindset that for me is the most common thing that I interact with um, you know, in general in my, in my career so, so far. And it was at a, like an agile meetup um, a couple years ago <clears throat> where there was a vice president from a banking you know, company that was there, a vice president of IT or something. And, and after hearing a lot of the conversation, you know, similar, you know, themes that we were saying here, she said, this sounds great and all, but in my agile transformation, the bottom line is that I have a business to run, not a daycare to manage. Right. And I, I, I could hear that and just say to myself, I, I don't know how you're ever going to, you know, deliver or, or, or create, you know, the, the, what, what agile, you know, really is and what it can deliver with that type of mindset. So. So have you gentlemen heard of a book called the art of possibility? Um, Rosamond Stone Zander, Benjamin stand, Benjamin Zander. I'm not sure exactly of the copyright. It's not a new book. It's been around for a while. Um, I need permission real quick. Uh, Ryan, if I were to read a paragraph, would that be a problem? No, go ahead. 
Okay. We'll get sued later. Okay. So the first chapter is called It's All Invented, which is an interesting viewpoint. It's important as you're coaching, as you're going into places where they're locked into the rules. But let me read a little piece for you. It says, Standard social and business practices are built on certain assumptions, shared understandings that have evolved from older beliefs and conditions. And while circumstances may have changed since the start of these practices, their continued use tends to reconfirm the old beliefs. For this reason, our daily practices feel right and true to us regardless of whether they have evolved to keep up with the pace of change. In just such a way, a business culture arises and perpetuates itself, perhaps long after its usefulness has passed. When I talk about the Reformation and cranking up the good, I want to bring up the idea that that perpetuated set of beliefs used to be the waterfall. Today, it's largely command and control agile. Ha. Ha. It's true. And I want to support Woody asking his questions. That's what this is all about. It's all invented. Businesses practices, business practices were not handed down from God. We've all invented those over time. This is a set of agreements. Things are the way they are because we made them that way, which can seem depressing if you think about it in terms of the behaviors that people chose that got us to this point, but can also lift that depression when you realize that we can freely choose anything else as soon as we can figure out how. <laughs> the corollary to that rule is, if we don't change where we're going, we're going to end up there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so knowing that um, this is like fundamental to me, knowing that where we, th where we think we want to go is, is not really the right place to be going is worth understanding. So we often, I think, take steps in a direction that we shouldn't be, and because we are we are working on the information that we think this is what we want to do, instead of proving it as we go, and we become, I would consider a lot of times, hardened into the idea that we have to stay on this path that's taking us where we knew we wanted to go, and then when we finally get there, we're going, well, well, why isn't it the way we hoped it would be? But that's because the chance to getting to where where the goodness we wanted exists is not the path to the goodness that we think we want exists. So it's the goodness that we really want to have is not something we can just pick out and run for. Constant value discovery is so much at the heart of all of our Agile methods that it's amazing to me that we often don't apply them to our Agile methods. Mm -hmm. You think? Can. Oh, go ahead. That was it. I was just saying we can. I I just wonder, you know, when we look at methods and practices, is there ever a time where we get to such a refinement that we're actually aligned with our principles and we get there, or do you think it's a constantly moving target? Like what? What is Nirvana, guys? What is what is the end game? This is the idea of the pot of gold at the end of the rainbow. You know, it's constantly moving. You can never get to it. So, you know, that's maybe a philosophy that's a little deeper than I can know how to explain. But we, this is about the journey and not about the destination. 
So, you know, if we're really on this thing, we know when we get to the destination, then we've achieved whatever it was we wanted to do, uh, and there's nothing else to go for. After that, we probably are going to be somewhat disappointed. I could be wrong about that. Like um, a good dog that catches the car. That was. <laughs> <laughs> so Toyota's yeah. been doing Kaizen for what, 40, 50 years, and they haven't run out of improvements at all. But um, I worked with some guys who did um, MVS, CICS, DB2, COBOL. And you know what? They were really, so hold really on, good Tim. at that. Hold on, Tim. For the kids listening, this is the mainframe. Okay, go ahead. Oh, yes. <laughs> Big blue boxes you may have heard about um, or may not. Um, they were really good at that. But in the meantime, people came up with whole new ways for us to be awesome, whole new ways to let people be cool. I have um, – I'm holding in my hand. This is like a three- or four-year-old cell phone with a touch screen on the front. It's running Android. They keep coming up with cool things that can make me more able to do my daily life and get around. There's a, there's a thing in there to help me find good gas prices. There's a thing in here to help me not forget to go to meetings. There's um, There's a GPS because I'm – directionally challenged i can get lost in a phone booth i would say that about the time that we get good in the steady state the steady state gets changed there's always a new way to be cool and awesome and to help people yeah it's a belief that you know excellence is a real thing it exists and as long as you keep your eyes open every day you might get a better idea of what that is and 20 or 30 years later you'll be closer to understanding it and that'll be cool because that day you'll be further ahead, but then that day you'll still get a better idea of what it could be as long as you keep your eyes open for it, right? And that's that's really kind of a driver, at least I, I think, you know, and why it, we say continuous improvement in Agile, but, you know, I, I just think holistically that idea of excellence, that's a real thing. And we just got to continue to experiment and ask what it might be and keep our eyes open each day and keep, keep adding features to the phone, you know? So I think I'm going to add a we question... I was just going to say, I think I'm going to add a question to my retrospectives about what are the good things we can turn up, and then maybe every other daily scrum ask, what good have we turned up? So I think this is foundational and important, and if we don't make it part of our mindset and practice, we lose it. So I, I've, that's a definitely an action I'm pulling away from this conversation. That's a good thing. I believe that the idea that we can ask ourselves uh, every day, uh, like we had done at sometimes, uh, you know, with my the original team uh, where we came up with the mob programming at Hunter, the idea that we could ask ourselves at the end of the day, what went well today, and how can we turn that up for tomorrow? Uh, not what went well over the last two weeks, and what might we do to turn it up over the next two weeks. That's sometimes good too, but I think it's really useful to just pay attention in the small. What's, what, what went well today? Can we turn it up? That's the idea. If we could turn up everything that's good a little, a little tiny bit every day, we'll get a, I think we'll get a, a compounding value that we don't get if we wait for two weeks to do that. And I think that's actually think the magic. Go. Sorry, I'm going to do one more and then I'll shut up. I'll probably cut this out. But I think this is the magic of mob programming and that it is really a continual retrospective even though it's a programming exercise too. And so you are continually inspecting and ad adapting as a collective team, the good and the bad, the code, the tests, everything that you're doing, 
And it, it's almost like you're just making these micro adjustments in real time, continually turning up the good things that the group collectively agrees on and finds. And I think that's actually the magic behind it. It's not the, um, the, the programming aspect is certainly important. I mean, that's what we're doing, but it's these micro adjustments uh, in this, in this just constant rapid, it's like this rapid and continual improvement space that it creates that, I think is just phenomenally underestimated and under un, and misunderstood still in the community. But I think through, you know, Woody's evangelism and through the books and, and some of these talks, I think these things will come to the forefront and people will realize just how important this continuous improvement and continuous learning really is. That's exactly where I was headed, especially given that Woody was the one telling us that you can retrospect more often than your iteration boundary. You can retrospect every day. Uh, you can also retrospect in a mob programming context very easily every commit, which could be you know every five ten minutes. You can also retrospect in the middle if it seems like it's going to be a while before this is going to turn into a commit. So uh, someone we used that to I call think that, is really good at that. Yeah, go ahead. we used to call that, and I, I'm sure they still do there. Uh, just in time retrospectives. So as soon as you know something worth holding on for a retrospective, it's probably a good time to just go ahead and and discuss it. You know, what exactly. did you notice what went well right then? Uh, did you notice there was something we needed to figure out here or whatever it might be? It doesn't have to be just the good, but good stuff is particularly good to retrospect on. When so. the rationale for the small ones being especially valuable is that the uh, the distance in time and the contingency, if you look at it as just a, an animal behavior situation, and we want to modify our behavior when we notice we should, the yeah. contingency is shorter, uh, the feedback is faster, and we can connect uh, the, the way that we felt from the thing that we remember still, because it was recent, to the change in behavior that we want to have soon. As opposed yeah. to leaving it for a week, maybe we forgot about it, maybe we forgot a salient detail, maybe we don't even remember it at all, uh, and it's hard to think about what we're going to do differently because we don't remember what we were doing that led to the mistake. If you can yeah, just the context it gets lost. Moment, yeah. yeah, and the only way you have the context is seconds or minutes later. It strikes me that a lot of what we were talking about, too, I, at least I, I hear some of the principles of appreciative inquiry in here as well, too, about um, you know, looking to the future and what we want to be, taking the time to, again, reflect on what we're doing, to tell stories about it, to share our experiences, you know, but, again, visioning why you know, we're, we're, we're doing these these retrospectives again because we have a vision in mind of what we want to do and we can you know constantly talk about it so just just throwing that out there again the the, the principles of positive or appreciative inquiry um seem like a common thread here to me so yeah there's a i think there's a lot of value in paying attention and i think that that's a big part of what i felt has been my focus for about 10 years now just simply not shutting off when we're focusing on something that we feel we need to be focusing on because it's the little things that are sliding by. And maybe that's the big value of a coach on a team, that when the, the players are in the middle of the activity, like if you think about a sports team, when you're in the middle of a game, you can't observe everything that's going on around you. You've got to have some other people around, and they, you can think of them as coaches who are watching for the things we need to look at and talk about immediately afterwards. Uh, you know, what could have we done a little differently in these little spots? And that's a, that's a type of paying attention, which you can do better as a team than you can do 
uh, sometimes as an individual because you can only think about one or two things at a time. I think nowadays they've sort of proved you can think of about maybe a half a thing at a time, and that's about it, you know. But I think Tim's got something he's dying to say. I'm not sure. I'm, uh, you're very astute. You recognize all my body language. Um, well, it's pretty easy with this. You know, your face is much larger than most people's, just as mine is. That's right. I have the proceeding forehead, That's which right. helps give me more face to work with. That's right. um, one of the things that uh, a lot of people have built an ethic around is working really hard. And the nice thing about a coach is a coach walks in and he's got a different set of eyes. I agree with what you said, Woody. It's somebody who comes in and sees things differently and can call them out. Clearly, you know, I don't want people to work hard. I think that working hard is a little embarrassing and shameful. What I really want is for people to be easily accomplished. And that's usually done, I agree with you, that through marginal gains. There's a little blog at Industrial Logic called Small Things. Um, the author's name may be familiar to you. Um, and we talked about uh, the Great Britain cycling program, and we talked about mindless eating and mob programming. And Paul Aker's book on two-second improvement, there's even some XKCD in there. But it's all about how little things add up to make your life easier, how things get done better if we pay attention and don't work hard, just make things easier. When you take these high-level athletes, you take a, a Tiger Woods at the, the top of his game, uh, he had a swing coach. So even arguably the greatest golfer to ever play the game with one of the, the nicest swings ever, still has a coach watching him constantly to make sure that his hands aren't dropping or that he's getting his, his uh, bottom hand rotated over on time at the right point of the swing. And so even the most elite of people at their craft have people whose sole job it is is to pay attention, make observations, uh, provide some insights, conduct some experiments, and... and interpret the results. I think that's just absolutely fascinating. Yeah, I think, uh, Tim, you, you said a good thing there that's, that you put in the chat notes. You know, it's like the, it's a good chance that Tiger's a lot better golfer than that coach is, but that's not the point of it, right? I, I really have always enjoyed, I remember when I was a kid uh, uh, in, in school uh, running track, I was never real good at it, but but I liked being on the track team, and I liked getting out running. And I remember the coach uh, telling me one day, he says, you know, at the end of that race, I was running a two-mile race. That used to be a race people would run. Nowadays, they, do, they measure it in different measurements. But in the two-mile race, it was considered a pretty long race in the track team. He says, you know, at the end, you, you sprinted to the finish line. You had a lot of energy there. And what he was saying was, you didn't use up enough energy during the race. You saved it for the finish. And, and that was a really astute thing because I was still learning of how much of my energy can I use on the, uh, throughout the race and still have some left over to sprint. But if you're, if you're saving up too much, then you're not getting the good time that you may have otherwise could have gotten. And I've held that with me for years because his point was uh, really well taken for me. And I started learning how to – expend that energy in a more even way throughout the race. Uh, I, I remember several other aspects of the, tr the coaches on that little high school track team that just helped me think about uh, better think about coaching. Matter of fact, I think I'd like to share another one that was uh, I'd never played basketball in high school. I wasn't really tall enough, strong enough, but uh, just playing on the on the uh, 
during the physical education class, the coach said, you know, uh, none of you guys can really make uh, do a great job of making baskets here because you're still all uh, you know too short for these uh, for these basket setups that we've got here. He says so. The key thing is 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 passing the ball to someone else who's in a better position than you to try to make a basket. So your contribution really is to look for who on the team you can get the ball to right now who has a chance of furthering the team a little bit and i and i take that have taken that with me now i've had to relearn it several times i think that's a powerful thought now whether that's really true you know outside in the world of basketball i don't know because i've never done anything with that but just the idea that who can you hand this to is going to make us uh move further along quicker um and better and then that's not a bad thing you know i like so that's kind of the coaching attitude we're looking for those things that will help us uh, that it's hard to notice when you're in the in the midst of it. So I'm hearing I'm hearing us say that the idea of an agile coach, even though it's kind of a made up thing, and it might look like anything in the context of the team or you know the organization, but that they're not useless. They're they're useful things, right? And that oh, it's a relief. <laughs> <laughs> well, now we we got to really be careful because I I don't really know what we mean by agile coach. I think I'm thinking myself right now as kind of a an agile guide because uh, I I kind of I think it I think of it as as I can say here's some things we probably need to be paying attention to and here's some techniques that we can use for doing that and here's some things I've noticed uh, I. I and here are some things that have worked for me, but I, I can't do a lot more than that because the people I'm working with usually uh, have to figure it out for themselves. I can't, you know, unless I would be somewhere for a very long period of time, I'm not sure I can observe enough stuff. But I do like to watch for things like, uh, do you have a, do you have a place where you collect? The items from your retrospective that you want to improve on, and why are there so many things there? You know, why aren't they moving into some done column somewhere? I mean, I'm saying this almost as a humorous thing, but the, there are little things you can notice like that that you can quickly point out. But that's that's just a few of them. You know, it's like we can't really know. We can see the the tip of the iceberg, but really the icebergs where the where the actions at. Yeah, yeah. I, <clears throat> I, I kind of said that, you know, jokingly, but then sort of to self reassure as well. But anyways, um, I, I, I've always kind of wondered if, if maybe the idea, since again, agile coach, it really is a made up, you know, title. But what if we let agile coach be something that is is really centered around the technical practices to really help, you know, people understand how to become better software engineers by um, perhaps using. Um, techniques and methods of building software that they've never tried before, like a test first approach or something, right? Um, what if that was really an agile coach? Would there still be room for somebody else to, you know, guide people and to work with people? Um, just like you said, an agile guide. Um, and, and I think so. Um, you know, what was really interesting about this conversation for me personally is I've always rejected the sports analogy to, to coaching, right? Because it's always been presented to me in a way that just felt terrible. Well, that's right because um, you know, what, what was <laughs> had an example, you know, um, uh, of, of someone saying to me recently, "See, the coach is useful, right? Because the coach is going to tell the number two batter in the lineup that he's not performing, and so he's moving him to eight, and that's the coach's job is to make those decisions for people, you know, or to go in there and tell them what the play is and exactly how they're going to do it." And go, and, and I've never, you know, that's 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 never been a very good, um, you know, analogy for me. 
But we were talking about things completely different, you know, which were just around observing and supporting and giving people the insight um, to make it possible for that athlete to become better, right? To create the space where improvement is possible, right? And that, um, yeah, I've never heard it phrased that way, like a swing coach. So, yeah, there, there are a lot of things related to this in, in many walks of life. Life, For example, if somebody wants to become a better singer and you get a singing coach, that coach is going to be very similar to the way I was describing what a, what, a, um, what a sports coach might be able to do. You know, a fitness coach would be another example and so on. So there, there are lots of environments where these things are helpful. Matter of fact, there's people who, you know, they're specialized in things like uh, organizing your home and these sort of things. And this, this isn't about telling people, well, you need to make a cubby hole to put this thing and you need to, you know, build a shelf for that thing. It's, it's all, it all has to do with how we approach uh, the psychology of these things and not necessarily the the physical parts of them. I would say, though, I've always appreciated having a good, a good coach, and, and I've turned to people. You can think of them sometimes as mentors, as well as well. But that's a different, that's a different thing. I've had a few that I would consider people that were mentors, and that's a, a different thing maybe than a coach. But uh, that's not a bad thing either. Lots of ways to get help, and to provide help. Well, I'm glad that we've had this introduction. Are we ready to start uh, recording the um, our talk today, or our, our, uh, or are we already done with it? Where, where have we gone here? <laughs> we took a long, winding road uh, that was an excellent journey. We may have not hit the destination we intended, but we, I think, we wound up in the right place. Is this a Douglas Adams or whatever his name is? A quote. <laughs> No. Uh, yeah, the house on the beach is a place where land and water come together. It's constantly changing. There's always something new to see. Coaching is a house on the beach. Oh, nice. Nice. I like that. So I think that's a really excellent place to wrap this one up, guys. But I just want to say it's it's fun to get back to the old school group. Uh, we never know where ah. these are, are going to go, but... Uh, I think we wound through enough uh, interesting and diverse spaces that I think there's something in here for everyone. So thanks for, for getting the group back together and really appreciate you guys doing this. And the listeners, you know, in all seriousness, the, the downloads just keep going up. We get great emails, tweets, tons of support. Uh, just really appreciate all of that. It's because of all of you uh, being out there and listening and sharing the show and sharing your comments that we're able to grow and to do more and more shows and to have these great people on. So thank you so much for being out there. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you for, sh for supporting the show and just for all that you do to help get the Agile message out. So with that said, panel, Woody, Amitai, Tim, and Zach, thanks for being here. All of you listeners out there, have a great night. Thanks for listening to Agile for Humans. Let's keep the conversation going. Drop us a question on Twitter at Agile for Humans or visit agileforhumans.com. <laughs>